What a privilege it is to stand behind this sacred desk from whence the good news of Jesus Christ is so faithfully preached Sunday by Sunday. I pray that I can humbly do likewise uh, this Sunday morning as we look to Psalm 12, as we continue in our summer saunter through the Psalms. We uh, have consistently pointed out as we look to each of these Psalms to recognize that the type of literature we're looking at, reading here, is poetry and, and is to be understood as poetry. Poetry is usually, typically written that it will communicate not only ideas, not only speaking to the mind, but perhaps even more so speaking to the heart, that is speaking to your, to your emotions, to your feelings, if you will. Shakespeare's sonnets give the example of the poetry of romance. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. One of my favorites, Alfred Lord Tennyson, with the honor of bravery, as he wrote, cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them, volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell, rode the 600. Now that's poetry. And of course, we couldn't hardly talk about poetry communicating feelings without mentioning Emily Dickinson. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves in immortality. Psalm 12 is certainly a, a psalm that will speak to our minds, but it likewise intends to reach our hearts. Psalm 12, again, a, a psalm written by the shepherd king David and written that to know and to feel through the words of this poem that we have as Psalm 12. If you would follow along, I'll read. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver 
refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This poem assails us with the tragedy of sin. But more powerfully, it encourages us. It lifts us up by the word of God. I think this poem, this psalm, was likely penned somewhere around the year 1015 B.C. No jokes about who was there when it was written. Have to be. <laughs> but it was written by a man of faith. I think that's one of the things that's communicated most clearly. That this, this poem, this psalm was drafted by a man of faith. A man who knew the Lord, who trusted the Lord. A man whose, whose heart yearned for God's glory. A man whose heart yearned for the end of mankind's rebellion against his Creator. A man of faith who yearned for the eschaton, who yearned for the day of the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. In this day, Things have gotten so bad. The state of the world, the state of the society and culture in which he lived, the things have gotten so bad that it seems that there is, there is no decency, there is no goodness, no godly people are left in the world. Now this is not a, an uncommon perspective, an uncommon state of mind for the servants of God as we see throughout Scripture. That it is not unusual that the servants of God would just feel alone. Not only lonely, but alone. And certainly we all think of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, for the people, Elijah says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And Elijah says to God, And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah likewise felt that he had been abandoned that there was no one left who trusted God, that there was no decency, there was no goodness, there was no faith left in the world. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All alone. Stephen, Paul, 
the reformers drowned, hanged, decapitated. Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century. You should read about how he was abandoned and left alone. So many, so many unnamed of the Lord's servants compassed about by a faithless world. Am I the only one? It is ever so easy in this fallen world to feel alone, to feel like, am I the only one? The faithless, the faithless world is defined in Psalm 12 by the sins of the tongue, what we might call talking sins. And while verse 8 refers to vileness, that is the violence that is wrought by talking, there is no evil, there's no physical evil spoken of in this psalm. The damage being done to the psalmist world is being done by the words of man. There is a conspiracy afoot here. This is the conspiracy of words. The conspiracy of words to get you on my side. The conspiracy of words to convince you to go with me to support me, to back me. A conspiracy to get you to vote for me. You see, uh, and it's, it's my opinion, there's, there's a number out there of men far smarter than me, but I believe this psalm was written by King David in reaction to the occasion when his son Absalom had conspired to overthrow David and take the throne for himself. We read about this in 2 Samuel 15 and following. Political intrigue 3,000 years ago. David probably penned this psalm in the context of that intrigue. While we can certainly relate to the situation with such liars, such flattery, such duplicity, such boasting, such self-aggrandizement in the political realm, these sins are by no means confined to politicians. Anyone who has ever purchased a car, browsed the internet, turned on a TV, or gone to church will recognize these offenses. While such liars have conspired to cheat for over 3,000 years, I would suggest that there are more opportunities more avenues, more media today for them to perpetuate their schemes than ever before. 
unfortunately, the liars find ready followers. Absalom, in his conspiracy to overthrow his father and take his throne, Absalom, by words alone, raised an army of several thousands. This, too, has not changed in over 3,000 years. Flattery and lies still work. You can't bury your head in the sand and ignore decadence. It will wrap its tentacles around you and draw you in to its evil. Your unknowing participation feeds it. For the crop to grow, it must be fertilized. And it is small sins that fertilize the world for great sins. I've always liked the sermon illustration. It's right out of one of those sermon illustration books, but it's a good one. It makes the book worth the $1.50 I paid for it. The man would bring his dogs to town every Saturday for the dog fights. And every Saturday he would place his bet upon a winning dog. He won every Saturday. Finally, one of the men had the courage to ask him, how is it that you always know which dog is going to win? And the man said, well, it's pretty easy. Actually, he's the only dog I feed this week. For the sins, the great sins of the world to grow and for the liars and cheaters to prosper. It's our little sins. It's our unknowing participation, encouragement of those sins that feed them. Would you have them to win? I am certainly saddened by those who think it is an act of love to support all sorts of perversions. So one says, my brother thinks he's a cat. And I love my brother and I, I can't deny him and I want, I want to go to church with him so we will find us a church where they accept cat men. It's okay because they accept my brother and I love my brother. It's a lie. That's a lie. And they have believed a lie. Genuine love does not condone sin. Genuine love condemns sin. 
this lie is being believed throughout our society this day and the manner in which we support this lie is through those very avenues that I previously noted. The scriptures give us fair warning of the dangers of our own words. We're warned of the difficulty of controlling what we say. Amen. The tongue is that subtle serpent that will speak lies and deception without a moment's thought if it is left unguarded. James chapter 3, you know well. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can certainly perceive the flattery and the lies of the politicians and the used car salesmen. But let us not overlook the powerful temptation in our own lives to do, to be the same. King David, writing Psalm 12, he sees that while God allows the liars and the, and the boasters to go on for a while, while God allows them to advance themselves and impoverish others for a time, He will not do so forever. God will rise. God will reveal His power. God will express the sovereign authority of the one who is truly in total control. The oppressed will be saved. Those who are oppressed will be saved from the abuse of the liars. He will lift Lazarus from among the dogs and lie him in the bosom of Abraham while Davies suffers the eternal thirst of hell. God's salvation is to the truly needy, oppressed by sin, unable to save themselves, God's grace. God's grace is the expression of his sovereign power. King David, a man after God's own heart, saw the conspiracy of his son Absalom. He saw this conspiracy for what it truly was, an offense against God. While David must flee for his life, and as David fleed for his life, he understands that what Absalom and his followers are doing 
is contrary to the purposes of God. It is God against whom they sin, and it is God who must be vindicated. Such is the nature of sin. It is rebellion against our Creator. It is our headstrong refusal to, to be obedient to His commands. Even as David sinned by murdering Uriah and committing adultery with Bathsheba, he says to God, against you, you only have I sinned. While we owe reconciliation to others that we offend, it is to God we owe repentance and a plea for His mercy. As David recognizes the lies and deception of this conspiracy, he recognizes these as an offense against God. It is to God that David looks for relief. He calls to God to respond. He calls to God to set things right. As it is the words of men that have offended, it is the word of God that will address. And be sure, the word of God is absolutely sufficient to address the offenses of man. In fact, the word of God is the most powerful force in the physical realm. Hear that one more time. The Word of God is the most powerful force in the physical realm. God spoke and the entire universe was created. You want to talk about a big bang. The Word of God. We, we believe this. We believe that God created everything that exists in all the physical realm when He spoke. What a marvelous, wonderful, great God we serve. God's Word, being the expression of God's will, it is omnipotent, it is omniscient, it is immutable, and God's Word is eternal. The most powerful force in the physical realm, it is dependable. God's Word can be trusted for all that it says, for all that it promises. God's Word can be trusted. And while the sins of man occur in time, the reply of God is in eternity. David sees his hope in the vindication of God's righteousness in God's Word. David knows that where his treasure is, there his heart will be also. He delights in that which will save him.
He treasures God's word for the treasure that it is. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then I think we come to the, to the apex, to the acme, to the pinnacle of this psalm. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven times. The grandeur of the glory of the greatness of God's word is revealed in the integrity of its promises. The star Betelgeuse, I've always called it Betelgeuse until this past week when I heard it would pronounce differently. So, you familiar with it? Can I get a couple of nods? Anybody? Yeah, okay. So, the scientists, the astronomers are telling us that Betelgeuse is going to explode any day now. It is a pretty bright star to start with, 536, 48, 548 light years away. Um, for those of you that aren't aware of, that's a long way. Uh, and, and yet it's a, it's a very bright star. It's on the left shoulder, right shoulder of Orion, the constellation. And the word Betelgeuse actually, uh, this is all extra by the way. Um, actually means the hunter's shoulder. I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, Betelgeuse is going to explode any day now. And when it does, it is going to be so bright that it will be visible in the middle of the day, as bright as a full moon. That's, that's amazing. But I, I say that, I say that because it says to me a, an idea of an image that such is the glory of God's word. Such is the light that shines. Such is the brightness of God's word as it shines into this world, as it shines against the background of the sins of man. To the Christian, to the believer, God's word is our treasure. We love it for it communicates our salvation, the forgiveness of our sin. Within it, within it we come to know our savior, Jesus Christ. We, be, we believe what God has told us of his life, his death on Calvary's cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and the promise that he will come again. In him we have life, and that life eternal. What a treasure trove of truth is God's word for those who belong to him. Amen. In Psalm 12, 
David anticipates and depends upon the ultimate satisfaction of God's word. You, O Lord, he writes, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Sometimes it seems like the liars are winners. The righteous of Psalm 1 will never prosper. And there's no blessing for those who take refuge in the Son of God, promised in Psalm 2. Sometimes it seems the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. But believers must, with David, anticipate the victory of God's word. 2 Peter 3, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God's word is beautiful. God's word is beautiful in the hope that is set before us. The liars do not win. The righteous will prosper. And there will be blessings for those who take refuge in the Son of God. As the Apostle John received the revelation that we have in chapter 19, he wrote, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Amen. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress at the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Today we may trudge through the quagmire of a sinful world, but we do so in the confident assurance of the promise of God's Word. Our Savior is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none greater, and He is coming. 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Sometimes it may feel like we are the only faithful. Sometimes it may feel like the world is going to hell in a handbag and we're the only ones that realize it. It certainly can seem in this day as it did 3,000 years ago it can seem like the liars and the cheaters have everything going for them. But unlike the godless, we know, we know that our prosperity is not in this temporal world, but in the eternal world with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he encouraged us, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. To which we say, Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.